this morning is whoever rules the heart rules the tongue. Whoever rules the heart rules the tongue. We burst into this world with a lot of sound, don't we? And we don't stop talking for a really long time. Early on, people wait in in the middle of our lives. Early on, people wait with bated breath for our first words. And from there, it normally gets pretty much downhill with our mouths. We readily admit that our words aren't everything. We need other ways to express ourselves, like body language and facial expressions and other signals to communicate. Words don't always have the ability to fully carry the weight or the meaning of everything that we think or feel. And so sometimes we are without words. We are speechless. Our highest and lowest moments of our life include words, celebrations of happiness, congratulations, great achievements, joy and festivity. They're marked by choice words. In fact, we'll go to the store and try to find a card with just the right kind of words that will help us be able to express what we want to say. Just like those highest moments of life include words, so are some of the most fearful and horrifying moments marked by words. Fearful and horrifying times in our lives are are when words have inflicted hurt and pain upon the human soul. Those words heard by the heart are recorded for decades on a broken record so that they are not easily forgotten. Sometimes these hurtful words remain as fresh on our memory as if they were just spoken. James, in his book, says that our tongue is like a bit in the horse's mouth. Such a small thing, but it directs a great and strong beast. He also says that our tongue is like the rudder on a ship. A small device, but many are steered by it. He continues on to say that our tongue has the power of a flame from hell and can burn down an entire city or forest. James concludes, if anyone can control the tongue, they can control their whole being. Listen to it from his own mouth in James chapter 3. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also is the tongue. It's a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. 
From the same mouth came blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? Or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. When we think about the history of words, we remember that history began with words, with the spoken word. And the one who began it all was God. And God's word was glorious, creative, and at the very beginning, life-bringing. That's helpful for us to think about when we think about how our words ought to be. Creative, glorious, life-bringing. But it not only reminds us that the pattern of our words is set, but there is a possession of our words. God made words. Words are God's firstly When we get away from his ownership of words, we step outside the bounds of grace. Words are really, really important. Firstly, because God made words. But secondly, because they were first made in order to do great things for his glory. Let there be light and there was light. Words were made. They were created. Firstly, to bring glory to God. When we learn about the inner being of the person in the book of Proverbs, we learn that God is firstly concerned about the heart of man before he's concerned with anything else about us. God wants people to fear him. And that is to have a heart that sets him as ruler, first of all, in, in our life. So when Proverbs speaks about all the areas of our lives, the work we put our hands to, the relationships we form, the stuff we own, the thoughts we have, and and even the words we say, it always directs our attention to the deepest part of our being, the human heart. And the proverbial principle that echoes throughout this book on the topic of the tongue is whoever rules the heart rules the tongue. In the book of Proverbs, we learn that God is on a rescue mission to rescue our tongues by rescuing our hearts. The wisdom of Proverbs reveals that the heart is known by the mouth. I've heard it said by someone that the tongue is the dipstick to the heart. Each of us are in a moment-by-moment struggle and war in the spiritual condition of our heart. And the war of our tongue is real because there's a war for our heart. The war of words is really a matter of the war of the heart. And it's a war that's happening in our heart that's really at the, at the critical point in the words, in the wisdom of Proverbs. It's a war of kingdoms. Our kingdom versus God's kingdom. The kingdom of me versus the kingdom of love. The kingdom of wants Versus the kingdom of grace. The kingdom of words. Versus the kingdom of the word. Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power 
of the tongue. Proverbs simply states that the stakes are high with the tongue. Which will it be? Will we yield the tongue as a sword for life? Or will we yield it for death? Well, this morning we're going to be looking at four places where words live and rule in our lives. Inside, outside, upside, and the downside of words. So let's firstly look at the inside. The inside. Words penetrate. Proverbs 12.18 says, Words can cut into our hearts like the piercings of a sword. They lacerate. They are cruel. Clumsy. And they thrust, they are thrust into our hearts to affect our feelings by others. Elsewhere in Proverbs 18.14, the writer laments a wounded spirit who can bear. But our hearts can be healed and made glad by words. In fact, in 16.24, we learn that our whole being can be revitalized by the spoken word. Listen, as he says, sweetness to the soul and health to the body are words that are brought to us in a healing way. In 18.8, we realize that even a whisper can deeply affect someone. The words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go into the inner parts of the body. Have you ever needed just a whisper? Have you ever whispered into a loved one's ear? Like delicious morsels that goes into the inner parts of the body and ministers there. In Proverbs 29.5, we learn that one's sense of confidence, or if you want to call it self-esteem, can be deflated or inflated depending upon the spoken word. A man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. And so we learn that flattering words can even induce a craving of the heart by those who do not calculate the effect, the effect of the words. By flattering someone, we can, we can sort of whet their appetite for further and further flattery. And so thereby set a snare for their feet that they crave more and more affirmation and praise. We ought to be careful how we affect someone's self-perception. Words have a way of shaping beliefs and convictions. They can either build or destroy a man's beliefs or convictions. In 11.9 and in 10.21, we learn, With his mouth the godless man would destroy his neighbor, but by knowledge the righteous are delivered. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of sense. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for a lack of sense. And while the tongue has no power, I'm sorry, while the tongue has power to invade the invisible places of our personhood, the fact remains that it also has perceivable power to destroy visibly and outwardly. And so we come to the outside. That which has been done on the outside of us cannot be compared to that which has been done inside of us. Yes, sticks and stones break bones. And yes, words hurt. But what has been done on the inside of us is incomparable to what can be done 
on the outside of us by words. Nevertheless, on the outside are devastating effects, but also incredible opportunity. You see, words have the ability of spreading. What is said is spread and cannot be gathered up again. According to Proverbs 16, 27 and 28, our speech is like a scorching fire. A perverse man spreads strife. It's like letting loose a, a rabid dog. We can sow discord. And 6.14 says, With perverted heart devises evil, continually sowing discord. There's even a, a way in which we spread the words that we use. We, we can hint, we can suggest, we can send signals. What is said or how it is said in signals. Like in Proverbs 6, 12 through 14, a, a worthless person, a, a wicked man, goes about with crooked speech. He winks his eyes, signals with his feet, points with his finger. With perverted heart, devises evil, continually sowing discord. And so even hints and suggestions are part of the hang ups of the outwardness, the outsideness of our speech. Even a well-timed wink with a closing or the pursing of the lips speaks much. In Proverbs 10.10 10 and 16.30, the writer says, Whoever winks the eye causes trouble, and a babbling fool will come to ruin. Whoever winks his eyes plans dishonest things. He who purses his lips brings evil to pass. So even just the subtlety, it isn't always the volume that makes words spread. It can be the subtlety as well. So words are spread, but also words bear fruit. Words bear fruit. And what can we turn back to the one who speaks to them? Uh, Proverbs 12.14 says, From the fruit of his mouth a man is satisfied with good, and the work of a man's hand comes back to him. It can return back to the one who speaks to them. And to those whom words reach, it can be like a tree of life. The mouth of the righteous, the proverb writes, and 15.4 is like a fountain of life. The mouth of a righteous is a fountain of life. But the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Oh, words can come on the outside. They can affect and bring great and visible disaster. We know that. So what are the upside and the downside of our speech? What does Proverbs reveal about the upside and downside? Well, third and fourthly, we recognize that words cannot substitute for action. They cannot be a substitute for action. And the writer of Proverbs says in 14.23, in, in all toil there is profit, but mere talk tends only to poverty. This isn't speaking merely to the material or the possession poverty, but the idea of being empty, to being vain, to there being a vapor and nothingless. So hearing that again, in all toil there is profit, but mere talk tends only to emptiness, wantonness. 
Well, the fact is that we get to participate in God's work more than just words. And so while words are no substitute for action, the fact is that words can be a precedent to action. They can be a complement to action and even lead to or lead the way into action. And so we get to participate more than just by saying good things. We get to participate with our whole being in doing good things. Secondly, not only is there an upside downside, but words cannot change truth. Not only are they not a substitute for action, but we recognize that words cannot change truth. And there's an upside and downside to that. You see, charm cannot dig as deep as truth. Words don't stand against a stand of chance against facts, even though they may disguise or mislead or deceive. The writer of Proverbs writes in Proverbs 26, 23 to 28. Like the glaze covering an earthen vessel are fervent lips with an evil heart. Whoever hates disguises himself with his lips and harbors deceit in his heart. When he speaks graciously, believe him not, for there are seven abominations in his heart. Though his hatred be covered with deception, his wickedness will be exposed in the assembly. Whoever digs a pit will fall into it, and a stone will come back on him who starts its ruling. A lying tongue hates its victims, and a flattering mouth works ruin. Words cannot change truth. And words cannot plead what the heart will not believe. Words cannot plead what the heart will not believe. You see, the final judge knows not only our words, but our heart. The final judge knows the heart of man, no matter what they may claim to be, he knows the heart. He knows the heart even though their claims seem to be, seem to be noble and virtuous. The writer of Proverbs says, there is a son in his imagination as he writes this Proverbs. Proverbs 28-24, whoever robs his father or his mother and says, that is no transgression, is a companion to the man who destroys God knows the heart. Proverbs 24.12 says, If you say, Behold, we did not know this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? With our mouths we can deceive many, we can deceive multitudes. In fact, I believe many times we can even deceive our, ourselves with our own mouths. We can say a lie long enough that we begin to believe it. But there is one who weighs the heart. Who doesn't listen to the words and take them for face value, but goes in and searches the heart and knows the very heart no matter what the mouth speaks. This is great warning for us. The Apostle Paul, when preaching the Gospel to the Romans in Romans 10, verse 9, 
He said, whoever shall confess that the Lord Jesus is risen from the dead and believe in their heart. That is that God knows whether there is a true confession of your soul to know that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. He knows the heart. And no man who comes to Jesus and and calls upon Him to be their Christ with mere words is ever changed or has ever been changed. But only that person who believes in their heart that Jesus must be their Savior and pleads and cries for mercy and confesses, that is, admits the same thing, the same truth as God has presented to them, that without Jesus they are lost in their sins and condemned to die unless that person comes to God not with mere words but with their heart. They will never truly know the saving power of Jesus Christ. And I don't know the heart of anybody here this morning, but maybe in time past you had made a profession and you keep looking back to the words you said as the security of your salvation. If someone were to ask you today, are you a Christian? Do you know Jesus Christ as Savior? You can point back to a time where you can remember the time in which you called out upon Jesus to save you from your sins, but in your heart you know that you have not been changed. And what, it, what you are placing your confidence in is the verbalization, is the words you said, but you are not placing your confidence in Jesus Christ. And there is great hope for you this morning that if you will with your heart turn towards the Lord, if you are, with your heart humble yourself before the Lord and say, Jesus, save me lest I die, when it comes from the heart then through the mouth, then the Lord hears and He answers with redeeming grace. The Lord weighs the heart and He knows the heart of that one who comes to Him broken and humble and pleading for mercy. But words are cheap. And there's no word that has the weight of the cost of salvation in it that one man could ever speak. You cannot flatter your way into heaven. Neither can you deceive your way into heaven. For the gates are closed and are opened only with the blood of the cross. All sincerity and all flattery and all fluidity and, um, and fragrance and, and form of speech cannot break open the gates of heaven. It must be by the very Word Himself, Jesus Christ that the gates are open for the heart that says, I have no words except Jesus save me or I die. Words cannot change truth. But also, words cannot convict. In Proverbs 29.19, we recognize that words can make an appeal to the listener. They can, they can seek after someone to appeal to them to seek after wisdom. But words cannot bring wisdom to the heart of another person. By mere words, a servant is not disciplined. For though he understands, he will not respond. Words cannot convict. And in Proverbs 17.10, we, we recognize that a rebuke can instigate the heart to change better than 100 punches to the face. Listen, as the writer of Proverbs says, a rebuke goes deeper into a man of understanding 
than a hundred blows into a fool. That is, if your heart will be open to receive the rebuke, the correction, the reproof from someone else or from the very Word of God, it would be far more impacting on you than if someone had beat you to a pulp. In Proverbs 17.4, we learn that the nature of the heart, it listens to, de- to determine its effect. What does your heart crave to taste? Proverbs says, an evildoer listens to wicked lips, and a liar gives ear to a mischievous tongue. What you are listening to is a test for what your heart craves. You've got to be careful that you don't dismiss some things in your life where you're listening to things that are worldly and are off base with the Word of God. A lot of times this can influence us through our entertainment choices like our music, or things that are audibly transmitted to us, the words spoken to us. We've got to be careful to guard the ears of our heart. But if you want to know what your heart craves, what do you enjoy listening to? you enjoy listening to words that bring life, words that bring glory and make life thrive and joyful and, and based upon truth? Are they words of wicked men? When you crave the words of evildoers, the Bible says an evildoer listens to wicked lips and a liar gives ear to the mischievous tongue. When we enjoy, when we love to hear the wickedness and the drivel of this world, it reveals much about the appetite of our heart. We're not craving the true and living word. So how do we make words that minister? How do we make words that minister? Well, there's quite a few instructions given in Proverbs, but I'd like for us to highlight just a few here this morning. First of all, speak truth. And speak truth honestly. Speak honestly. Proverbs 16.13 says, Righteous lips are the delight of kings. Righteous lips. A mouth that is full of truth and goodness and beauty and the glory of Jesus Christ. Righteous lips are the delight of kings. That is to say, righteous lips are a pleasure. They, they belong in a palace. This is where they belong, in a place of honor and glory, like in a king's palace. Let your words be spoken as if they're in the audience of a king, because they are. Because they are. But speak honestly. But secondly, speak less. Proverbs 17.28 says, Even the fool is counted as wise if he says nothing. Even a fool is counted as wise if he says nothing. Elsewhere, the writer of Proverbs says, A fool speaks all of his mind, but a wise man keeps it in until afterward. Does everybody have to know what you think? Are those righteous words? Speak less. How do we make words that minister? We speak honestly, we speak less, and we speak peace. 
Whoever restrains his words has knowledge. And he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. You want to be cool? Speak peace. Perhaps it's the other way around. If you are cool, then you speak peace. Proverbs 17:27. Do your words minister peace to the heart of those around you? Or do you stir up anxiety, undue concern, worry, animosity, antagonism? Speak honestly, speak lessons, speak peace, and fourthly, speak timely. <coughs> Proverbs fifteen twenty three says a word in season, how good it is. Elsewhere in Proverbs Proverbs ten twenty, the tongue of the righteous is choice silver. The heart of the wicked is of little worth. And 25.11 says, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Speak timely. But all of these we recognize, all of these forms in which where we, where we make our words and where they're made, where they're manufactured, surely don't just come from our mind. They, they come from our heart. And they come from the nature of the heart. And so we must... Do two things as we understand how to make these words. First of all, study to know how to speak. Study to know how to speak. In Proverbs 15, 28, we're warned that we ought to be silent before we break it. Proverbs 15, 28 says, The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. And 15.2 says, The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouths of fools pours out folly. Pours out folly. Be silent before you break it. Also in studying to know how to speak, pray, pray to God to know how to talk. Pray to God to know how to speak. Now, this isn't in the book of Proverbs, but in Isaiah chapter 50, verse 4, Isaiah records, The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught, that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Morning by morning he awakens. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. Isaiah was given the great position and and the great responsibility to impart the words of God to the people. Very much of his life was spent in in vocalizing, verbalizing, and being God's oracle to the people. But here in Isaiah 50 verse 4, he says, O God, when I arise in the morning, give ears to my heart that I might hear your word first before it's imparted to the people. Oh, what a prayer for us in the morning that we would say, Oh God, before I say anything, let me hear you say something. And then let everything I say be as if you had said it. As one who has been taught. Isaiah 50 verse 4. Not only are we to study to know how to speak. And by the way, that's, that's, a, that's a word of wisdom right there. How often do we study to know how to speak?
We're pretty much winging it all the time, aren't we? But the book of Proverbs, God's rescue plan says, stop. Study how to speak. Don't be a fool. To study how to speak, we're silent and we pray, but also store up worth to make your words worth it. Store up worth to make your words worth it. What are you storing up in the treasure house of your heart? What's in there that's coming out? Well, there's great opportunity for that. We have been kind of a Debbie Downer earlier in the message saying, oh man, out of the heart pours all this junk, you know, it's just trash, it's like a dumpster unloading, you know, on people. But there's also the capacity that if we would store the right things, that it wouldn't have to be like a trash can is emptied in people's laps when we speak to them. It could be that we would bring to them gold and silver and that our our righteous lips would be worthy of the hearing of a king, right? So this great opportunity here for us, where do we get what's in in our hearts? What we treasure ends up in our hearts. What you are is what your words are. Words, they show your worth. And they show you what your value system is like. In Proverbs 10.20, the Bible says, The tongue of the righteous is choice silver. The heart of the wicked is of little worth. Is your heart storing up the silver of righteousness? And let me tell you that the righteousness that's stored up in our hearts, it's not a self-righteousness. Don't mistake yourself in the judgmental, condemning attitude of our self-righteous, pious being that that if we feel that we're saying something righteous, then it must be. Righteousness only has one origination and it's from Jesus Christ. And it is freely imputed upon you by the blood of Jesus Christ through His work on the cross. You have, if you're a redeemed child of God this morning, you have storehouses of righteousness to pour out upon other people through your, your mouth. You're not bankrupt. You don't have to figure out where the storage rooms are. But when you come to the Word of God and you dwell in the presence of the living Word, you have a storehouse, a treasure house of silver and gold to pour out on other people. And so the tongue of the righteous is choice silver. But the heart of the wicked is of little worth. Listen to yourself. What's coming out? Or what you would like to come out? Can tell you a lot about where your treasure is. Where you're digging for your treasure from. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for from it will flow the springs of life. Keep the heart. Keep your heart with all with all watchfulness, with all awareness that this heart has the ability to devise evil things and through the mouth destroy lives. Has the ability to do something worse than set a forest fire. Has the ability to do something greater than steer a passenger ship. Has the ability to do something more powerful than steer a powerful beast like a horse. This tongue, 
whatever is in the heart comes through the tongue. So keep the heart with all diligence, for out from it springs life. Jesus, I think, thinking upon this point of wisdom in Matthew twelve thirty four, said, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, mouth, the mouth speaks. So what is God's rescue plan for us in Proverbs regarding the heart? One person said, word problems are heart problems. Word problems are heart problems. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 5, please. Galatians chapter 5, as the Apostle Paul looks into the, the unified people of Christ, gives them great warning here concerning how they are to, to minister effectively. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 13 The Apostle Paul says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But in verse number 15, the Apostle Paul zeroes in on a key point of friction between people. And notice he doesn't bring into verse number 15 any physical harm. He brings into verse number 15 our mouth. And he says, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. We are responsible for the harvest of our words. God has infused power in words. We can't get away from that, that our words have power. Oh, at times we grieve that they do. And other times we relish what they have as power. We can't say that we really love a person when we have destroyed them with our words. We can't say, well, they know at the end of the day I love them. That's really skirting the issue. The Apostle Paul doesn't say that our words destroy the relationship that we have with someone. What does he say? Let me ask you that question again. The Apostle Paul doesn't say that our words destroy the relationship we have with someone. What does he say it destroys? He says it's the person who's destroyed. You say, I know my relationship at the end of the day is still going to be okay. I mean, we're, all, we're family. We're friends. They know. The Apostle Paul's warning goes far deeper than the relationship. He says you're destroying the person. And that's even more serious than the relationship. We can ruin people. We can destroy people. We can cut them and we can wound them very deeply, even more so than any knife or sword. 
We can mar their self-identity. We can frustrate their faith. We can crush their hope. The fact is, what leads to death through our words is our indulging of ourselves. Notice in verse number 13, the Apostle Paul says, For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity to indulge yourself. The kingdom of me. My will. My wants. My needs. In the kingdom of me, I sit on the throne and dictate what will be brought to me and declare edicts and laws and declarations of war against anything that dares not please me as I sit on my throne. In the kingdom of me, I am under myself as king. And what I want from others in the kingdom of me is that everyone pleases me. So the Apostle Paul says, you cannot use this opportunity of of a newfound heart and freedom in Jesus Christ as an opportunity for you to enrich the wealth of your palace, of your own kingdom. In 2 Corinthians 5.15, the Apostle Paul says, And he, Jesus, died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. In this, the Apostle Paul shows us that we are, we are so self-infatuated that we actually might drive others away in our self-infatuation, in the way we mow other people down. We actually become, ironically, anti-social by using words to build the kingdom of me. When I am focused on myself, people become objects for my pleasure and self-indulgence. People just become useful to me and they're no longer people. But God's grace is given to us so that we can receive something far greater than what we exact from those around us as a tribute to the kingdom of ourselves, the kingdom of me. What we want from others pales in comparison to what God has given us through grace in Jesus Christ. And God is committed to drilling this home into our hearts. You will never get glory. You will never get from other people anything that even comes close to comparing the riches of grace that is found in Jesus Christ. And if you try to get what you want from other people, all it's going to look like is like a weapon, like a sword for your kingdom. You're going to cut down your enemies or flatter them to build them up in order to build the kingdom of me. But it will never satisfy because the kingdom of God is not not like the kingdom of me. The riches of the kingdom of God are endless. But the fact is, we aren't convinced of that. But Paul wants us to know that that's the truth of it. That He died for all. That those who live might live no longer for themselves, but for Him who for for their sake died and was raised. God's grace has been given to us to rescue us from this little hermit kingdom unto a glorious and far better kingdom of God. His rescue is brought about by His transforming powerful grace. 
And if we listen to the edicts being declared from your throne, what kind of kingdom would we hear about? What kind of kingdom are you declaring should be in this world by the law on your tongue? Who you are comes out in what you say. And what you value comes out in the laws you dictate, the pressures you put on other people. What you treasure is made known by what you praise. And who you love is revealed in your speech. If you have a problem with your tongue, the problem is in your heart. When your heart is ruled by the kingdom of God, then its law comes out of your mouth. The law of truth. The law of honesty. The law of kindness. The law of ministry of peace. When we love God above all and love our neighbor as ourselves, our words will reflect that because that's a matter of the heart, not a matter of the tongue firstly. But the problem with our mouths is not our tongue. You say, I have a hard time controlling my mouth. I have a hard time controlling my speech. I often find myself regretting what I've said and wishing I had said something else. Well, the fact is that that's not something to be fixed horizontally. The problem with our mouths is that our heart needs to be fixed on the right thing vertically. God's rescue for the heart, God's rescue for the tongue, is His Word. Ironically, the cure for our words is His Word. And that's because it isn't a speech problem that we have. It's a spiritual problem. And God has planted in us a new heart, able to conceive and to bring forth righteousness upon our lips. And Titus chapter 3, verse 5, the Apostle Paul says, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but by, according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. God's Word convicts our hearts so that we can know our sin. God's Word convicts our hearts so that we can know our sin. This morning our prayer is that God would do a convicting work in our heart by His Word so we can perceive and we can get past some of the excuses we've been telling ourselves that it's not a tongue problem, it's a heart problem. And God's Word is convicting us this morning that our our heart has a problem, not our mouth. The wonderful thing about God's Word is that it does this. It convicts us, but it doesn't leave us there. God's Word cleanses us. God's Word cleanses us. I remember one time my mom taking me into the bathroom and putting a bar of soap in my mouth. I can remember what it tastes like. But she knew, and she was illustrating something that needed to happen far deeply in my, in my life than just my mere mouth. I needed a cleansing of my heart. God's Word. Not your will to just say something nicer tomorrow. Not positive thinking. Not words of affirmation and praise that you need to add into your vocabulary and your intentionality. But brother and sister, we need the Word of God. 
to cleanse our hearts so that we can be pure in what we say. Not only does it convict and cleanse, but also God's word conveys truth to our hearts so that we can know what to say. God's truth. Let the word of Christ dwell in your hearts richly. Keep your heart with all diligence. God's word conveys truth to our hearts so that we can know what to say. Then fourthly, God's word conceives love in our hearts so that we can know how to say it. God's word conveys love. You want to know how to speak rightly? First ask God to convict your heart to show you what's wrong in your heart beyond your vocabulary. And then ask God, please cleanse my heart from the filth of the language, the filth of the treasure, the things I treasure. And then ask God, God, with my Bible open, fill my heart with truth, not the lies that I've devised, and not the the deceitfulness of this world, and not worldly wisdom and folly. But Father, pour into my heart your truth, and let the word of God become the language of your heart. And fifthly, let the Word of God tell you about the love of God and coach you in it, train you in it, convince you of it, embrace you in it. But let the Word of God tell you about the love of God that He has for you. And when you're humbled to receive the love of God, to be so convinced that you are loved in such an unlikely way by a great God, oh, that love will shape how you speak. But you must know the word of God. You see, what shapes our words needs to be the word. Not merely the hearing or even the reading of the word will do this, but by the receiving of the word into our hearts. Our hearts need to be shaped by the word and so that our tongues will be shaped by it too. What steers the tongue? The heart. Whoever rules the heart rules the tongue. Let's pray.